How many people listening to this show have a favorite band t-shirt at home, probably falling apart from 20 years of washing? Mine is a Silverfish t-shirt from 1991 that says hips, tits, lips, power. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rock Stars. Today, we're talking about merch. It's an integral part of a musician's business, but it can quickly become a business of its own. The internet simplified merch by allowing bands to have web stores, and many companies sprang up to run those stores. Today, we'll talk to some of those companies, as well as one artist who's doing some great business with his unique merch. It's all coming up on The Future of What. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to musician Dan Deacon. Dan Deacon is a musician and an entrepreneur and a total awesome whack job. Dan, welcome back to The Future of What. (laughs) Thanks for having me back. (laughs) Do you like that intro? I can redo it if you don't. No, it's fine. I don't think any... uh, We'd be here all day if I was like, no, actually, could you... (laughs) I I take issue with that one tiny piece of, you know, that sentence. (laughs) So today, we had you on before because we got lucky enough to talk to you at Pickathon. Awesome Pickathon. But today, we are doing an episode that is about merch. Ooh. And you have such an incredible merch store. I just want to, like... Thank you. ...ask you so many questions. <laughs> like, what is going on? My biggest question, I guess, I would just start by saying, like, how did you start? When you started putting merch out, did you just discover that people would like to buy stuff? Or, or I mean, were you, like... I just want to try this. Well, I was in a, like a band in high school and we, it was a ska band and ska bands love having dumb stuff. And it was fun. It was fun to like, I didn't take screen printing. I wasn't in the art program in my school. You had to kind of pick art or music, uh-huh. but I got really into screen printing and we would print our own shirts and it was fun to design them. And I don't know. And, you know, it's kind of one of the only ways you can really make a profit as a band is to sell merch because you know most of the shows you just split the money up amongst the bands and i mean if you get a hundred people at five bucks that's only five hundred dollars and you split that up amongst the four bands and then the promoter and then whoever else the venue costs like you're not looking at much and then the band had like 12 people in it so that was a great business decision there good job <laughs> ninth grade ninth grade uses but making a making merch is you know it's just part of the part of the system and i feel like the uh more popular you get the more you become like a, an apparel distributor than you are <laughs> a music seller yes it does feel that way yes indeed like you should have a warehouse somewhere and just stock i do yeah you do <laughs> like, awesome. like a huge section of my studio is just you know shelves of shirts and the records and leggings and stuff like that i love it so do you do you you don't do all the screen printing yourself still, do you? No, not anymore. It just got I I, I stopped printing my own shirts probably around two thousand seven. That's when like I found any level of success and I was just on the road so much that by the time I get home I wouldn't have time to print new shirts. Right. And I'm just I'm not very good at it either. It's not my skill set. And I have so many friends that are very good at it that employing their services makes a lot more sense. Do you employ the same people over and over or do you sort of use different services? 
I work, I've, I've been working with the same handful of people for a while. Like there's this company out of New York called Look with Q's instead of O's uh-huh. that do a lot of my printing. Uh, my friend Kevin Sherry in Baltimore does a lot of my printing. Jack's Prints out of Cleveland does my like all over print work for the shirts. And oh, there's the name of the company in North Carolina. I'm blanking on their name and I feel like it. <laughs> but they're great. Awesome. But they're great. And I love them so much that I forget their name. Yes. But my friend, my friend Drew actually runs the merch store now because for the same reason, like I'd come home and the mail order would be not even if it was a lot, but it would just be like people would order and I'd be on tour for three months and they'd be like, oh, what's up? I pre-ordered this thing and uh, now I could buy it in the store for cheaper. What right. the hell? Right. So it just got easier to have a friend who's home more to take care of the mail order. Totally. Yeah. I mean, obviously that does happen. I I know a lot of bands are still at the stage where they're shipping stuff out themselves and taking packages to the post office and all that stuff. But really, once you, you know, you get more than like 10 people buying things, like let's say mm-hmm. in a in a week, <laughs> then you're gonna you're gonna run into a situation where someone else yeah. needs some help. My friend Ed Schrader has like this shirt called Cats on the Lake mm-hmm. for a fake event about putting cats on a boat in the inner harbor of Baltimore uh-huh. and it went it got very popular but he still packages them himself and takes them to the airport and sometimes I'll just see him walking down the street with this an insane amount of packages and I don't know I really love it. it's one of my favorite things about Baltimore that's pretty amazing well that's like a friend of mine did that reading is sexy design okay <laughs> which is like which is like everywhere, you know, it's like bumper stickers and stuff. And mm-hmm. thank God yeah. she was working with, at the time, you know, she was working with a company that w- could distribute it because I was like, dude, that's literally everywhere. <laughs> that, that would be a full-time <laughs> job, just getting those packages Cats out. on the Lake does not have that level yet, but they're, they're getting there. They're getting there. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So tell me about this Guardians of the Galaxy t-shirt with Snoop Dogg on it. <laughs> what would you like to know? What? Where where did that idea come from? And and did you have to like, did you have to get Snoop Dogg's permission? I mean, is that something that you had to do or what? Excellent question. My friend Kyle Mapson designed that shirt. And Kyle's a, a collage artist that likes juxtaposing various pop culture images and icons and brands and logos. And I asked him to make a shirt with that in mind, like just with his, like his Instagram art. His account's called Selfies, Pets, and Food, so it's kind of hard to find. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I mean, I love his art, and he came back with that. And my only suggestion was to put, like, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones on the back of the shirt, so they're also <laughs> on the back of the shirt. Very, like, hidden. They're, like, um, large, largely translucent. I'd say they only have, like, a 10% opacity on them. But, no, we didn't. Um, we didn't ask anyone if that was okay, and we just sort of... Sold them. I, th- I think uh, I uh, when I did the tour with Miley Cyrus, we gave Miley one, and she's posted a lot of Instagram pictures with her wearing it and tagging Snoop. And I wonder if Snoop's seen. Sh- I'm sure Snoop has so much bootleg merch that like the last thing he's worried about is some weird in Baltimore selling Guardians of the Galaxy Snoop Dogg shirts. Right. I'm really I'm really <laughs> selling like uh I don't know. Saying I'm selling dozens of them would be a, right. <laughs> a, a huge inflation of how many of these things I'm pushing. Yeah. But I would love, to, you know, if if Snoop asked to stop, I would definitely, you know, of course, stop. Boston as well. Guardians of the Galaxy, probably not. I'd love to uh, 
get in a legal battle with Disney. That'd be real fun. <laughs> well, that would be kind of good publicity. That's the all publicity is good publicity rule. <laughs> yeah, they'd probably like sue the, the, the shirt coming. It'd probably be like a negative land SST situation. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Where like negative land wouldn't really get sued by YouTube, but then like YouTube's label would sue SST and the manufacturing plant. So I, it would be a tragic thing if it were to come, but uh, I don't think anyone's going to come after us. I can't. I Yeah, I can't imagine. It's also interesting, you know, begs the question culturally, like at what point is something so pervasive that it's so part of the culture that you get to use it? You know, it's different if someone has like a very specific logo or something and they use that. Well, I don't know. Because think about like going with, with Snoop. Like Snoop is the subject of hundreds, if not thousands of memes that are liked and shared by millions of people, many of which on monetized accounts, right. like people that are advertising. And you know what I mean? And that not only does that like make other people money, but it also helps keep Snoop so culturally relevant without right. doing anything. And That's I'm not true. saying my shirt's doing that, but I just mean like, like if you think about collage based art or using like found images, it's been such a different game than it was like even I remember like when Girl Talk first started making music and people were like, What's going on? This is great. And now that's just of course. It's it's become standard fare to use images that you find. And like I, I was used as the butt of a joke against to sort of like demean Elizabeth Warren. Like it was a picture of me playing a show and it was like on some like conservative Instagram account and it was like these are Elizabeth Warren's supporters. <laughs> like, well, that, that is true. I do, I do support, support Elizabeth Warren. Yes. Uh, but I do take issue with, I didn't ask him to take it down, but I just thought it was really bizarre. Do you know what I mean? I kind of feel like once something's on the internet, it's sort of contextless at that point. And I think it's great that that's changing in one way that like people aren't just like culturally appropriating things. They're trying to be conscious and people are trying to help inform people about what they're appropriating. But when it comes to corporate culture, I don't understand. Like if you want to have Captain Crunch, like killing Toucan Sam, I think <laughs> that's going to happen. There's no stopping right, it. You right. know what I mean? That's totally true. I guess I was just trying to put it in context and think about it from my own perspective, because, you know, we have a problem with stuff like, you know, somebody going and getting the entire cover art for Elliot Smith's New Moon, let's say, mm -hmm. printing up T-shirts with that on the uh, on the front of it and then just selling it on their website. And it's like, that's just weird because this is just some random person. They're not an artist. Well, that's bootlegging. Right, because that's, but it's kind of like, well, they made something that we weren't making. Let's say we don't make a shirt like that. They just made something that didn't exist and then just sold it. Well, I don't have like big framed family photos, but I don't want to go to the store and see them for sale. Right. Yeah. Just tell them that. Yeah. It's just, it's a funny thing because it, you know, it's like, I do wonder, it's like, I believe in appropriating images in the culture. And I think that people should be allowed to make art for sure. I just am interested in, you know, if somebody has absolutely no connection, is not an artist of any sort, and then just starts like printing merch that they think should exist. It's, and then making money off it, you know, and it's like, well, guess what? When we make money off Elliot Smith's merch, it goes to his family. <laughs> it doesn't just go yeah. in some random, you know, person's pocket. 
So it's just, I don't know, it's an, it's an interesting question. It is, and I, and I agree that it is. But I do see a big difference between bootlegging and a recontextualization. Absolutely. Like, I would be bummed if someone were selling, like, Dan Deacon t-shirts. But if someone were selling a t-shirt with, like, my face on it and it said, like, Ghostbusters, right. I would be kind of psyched. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I, I hope someone calls me out on that and makes that and shirt. Just makes it happen immediately. I like that idea. Now I have to ask about the leggings, the America leggings, mm-hmm. because I love those. And I am, I'm just well, interested. You. Why did you decide to make leggings? Like what was in your brain when you decided on that one? Well, a lot of my friends wear leggings and I kept thinking about, I didn't want to make like sweatshirts, but I wanted to make a new thing to have at the merch table and to sell and what people would actually wear. Mm-hmm. And it just made sense. Has it, have they been popular? <laughs> have they sold? Yeah, they're one of the yeah they're one of the best selling things we have. They're hard to keep in stock and they're hard to source because we'll find a place that makes them and then they'll stop making them or they'll they'll get you know the unit costs will become prohibitive because we're not ordering like thousands of them. We order them in like a couple of dozen at a time and then sell those because that'll last a decent amount of time. People seem to really like them. They have the same reaction like like thank you for making these. Why did you make these? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. Leggings seemed like a good idea. So we made them. Well, that's, I guess what I'm trying to get at here with artists with merch is that people love when you make weird stuff. Like people love it when artists mm-hmm. make weird stuff, but artists rapidly realize, just like you said in the beginning, that if you do that too much, you become an apparel company. Like you just spend yeah. your time like sourcing leggings and figuring out where to get them mm-hmm. printed and all this stuff, like it can become such an overwhelming job, which is why I think more people don't really do it. And it's more rare to see like just cool merch available because it's just so hard to keep it going. It's also just fun. And, you know, a lot of times when I'm at a merch table, I wear like XL or certain brands, I'll wear 2X and they don't have those shirts. And I started thinking about how most band merch is homogenized for like medium sized men. <laughs> And thought it would be nice to have a merch item that wasn't geared towards men. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? That was like not for like medium male bodies. Does that right. make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, we appreciate it. I'll, I'll send you some if you'd like. Ooh, thank you. Be so rad. Your custom tie-dye t-shirts. I took a look at those and I thought, wow, I bet that got old really fast making custom tie-dyes. <laughs> I have a friend who does like tie-dyeing. So we... We hired them to do it. Oh, rad. Okay, good. Better than you having to sit over a bucket for <laughs> six hours. Yeah, I, I, I thought about it. And then it, I would have to do it on this like one day off between shows. And I was like, this is a terrible idea. Yeah, exactly. I just recently tied dyed my first t-shirt. And I was like, wow, this is an incredible pain in the ass. I cannot believe people do this. It's more just like the whole, you got to let it sit for a while. Right. Yeah. But then rinsing, the rinsing part. Yep. What is that about? Holy crap. <laughs> You know, I'm realizing now that that shirt's another, that's just all Bart Simpson. I'm oh, realizing yeah? now that, uh, oh, yeah, you're it's right. a lot, it's just layered, these layered Bart Simpsons that I made. Oh, yeah, it's true. These Bart Simpsons that I made. <laughs> <laughs> and by <laughs> made them, I mean hands. like took the clip art and uh, layered them on top of each other. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, all I can say is hippies, I have a lot more respect for you now. Got a lot of dedication. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, 
I am impressed with your merch. Oh, I had I did have another question. What percentage of your income at this point do you think you get from merch? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. And I don't know if the IRS is listening, but uh, <laughs> well, no numbers. You don't have to do numbers. It's a it's it's a decent percentage, especially on like a long ground tour, uh-huh. like festivals. It's kind of a wash. Like most festivals these days are taking like a seventy percent cut. So like you know, it's like the Oliver print shirts are already. I'm only making like a dollar or two profit on each one because they're just so expensive to make that I don't want to mark them up too much. So when we go to a festival kind of need to have stuff in the store just to have a presence you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah. and then if we sell something that's great so but at the same time like that's getting more and more expensive and as like independently owned mid-sized venues start vanishing and start getting like absorbed by larger conglomerates like not even live nation but empty bottle presents or bowery presents and these are companies that i you know like booking shows with but i worry about them becoming these giant monoliths that are going to impose large, you know, corporate standard merch rates. And so I, a lot of my income, especially on a tour relies on merch because merch is a way I can still generate income without making the ticket price high. Mm -hmm. I don't want to disinfer. I don't want my show to be only for people who, you know, have a large amount of expendable income. I want them to still be able to come to the show simultaneously. I want to be able to pay my crew and the other musicians, as best as possible. So it's a real, and I want to be able to make sure my, I can continue doing it. You know what I mean? So it's a real balance and merch makes that possible to be able to pay employees well and make sure that the show itself isn't cost prohibitive to people who'd want to go. And that way that people who do have extra money can still walk away and buy something. I just worry about venues treating touring acts like, I mean, they're already keeping, I, what I'd be happy with, if someone wanted to take a percentage of the merch, that's fine. But then I want a percentage of the bar. Like, it's crazy. Right. Just think, you know, I, I don't know. And that's never going to happen. I don't know. I, and there's, I don't see, like, touring musicians unionizing in any capacity. But it would be nice to have some sort of, like, collective voice being like, hey, I don't want to sell shirts for $45. Not only will I not sell many of them, my I'm just going to look like an asshole. Right. Anyway, that's that. So yeah, merch is a very, I'd say still a large part of how I can continue surviving as a mid-sized artist. And I feel like if merch were to vanish, it would, I'd certainly have to restructure how I get around. Back to tap dancing in the street. That's right. Which no one wants. (laughs) No, nobody wants to see that. But I swear (laughs) I'll do it. Dan Deacon, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Future of What. Thank you. Wasted all this time Come along and put out the light Maybe it's ours to keep Oh, maybe it's ours to
That was Ron Jeremy by Young People. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to the founder of Merch Bar, Ed Aiton. Ed, welcome to The Future of What. Thanks so much for having me. Yay, I'm so excited to talk to you. So tell our listening audience why you started Merch Bar in the first place and when. Yeah, we started Merch Bar. Myself, my co-founder, John Hecker, started Merch Bar over three years ago now. Uh-huh. We've been live, you know, out, you know, people have been able to see what we're doing for almost two years, but it was, you know, years in the making before before we got out there. And really, I mean, it was just, you know, built from this idea that, you know, physical products like exist in their own, you know, kind of world and that there's this huge need on both the artist side and the fan side to actually, you know, discover and, and find new products from the artists that you love and that the, you know, the, the mechanisms we've built for, you know, distributing music and digital content have been evolving and there's all kinds of, you know, great ways to do that. But if you're a fan of an artist and you love them, it's actually pretty tough to actually keep track of all the new, interesting, cool things they're doing. And that ends up, you know, being a pain for fans and ends up being a, you know, big missed business opportunity for those artists. So we set out to try and solve that. And that's what we're doing. So did you have this partnership with Spotify from the beginning? Was was this part of the deal or did that come later? Yeah, so that's new. It's only about two months old at this point. So it's a new opportunity for us. Cool. And then what were you in before? Like, were you in bands? Did you have sort of firsthand experience with selling merch or did you come at this from a different angle? I came at it, you know, I, I'm a longtime music lover. I played, you know, solo acoustic stuff in New England during college, but really came to this opportunity much more from the nerd side. I moved on, you know, kind of from my music world and concert promotion days into, you know, healthcare and then eventually into like music social networks. And as a, you know, nerd in San Francisco, really saw the opportunity here from like a, you know, an information perspective. And that's really actually like the way we, uh, we, we found the opportunity and, and you know, decided to, to dig in and build a company here. So do you guys do this merch bar? I mean, is it much like any other merch retailer? Like, do you have a big warehouse and a staff that mails stuff out? I mean, how does that work? The answer is it is completely different than your <laughs> traditional merch company. Okay. So it looks, you know, to fans, you know, we definitely spend a lot of time, you know, giving them a, a kind of great cohesive kind of experience of, you know, who they're shopping and, and the artists that they're buying from. But the way it actually works is it's a marketplace. So we actually partner with merch companies like, you know, the, the the big guys that you think of when you think of merch companies that have big warehouses and things like that. We partner with record labels, distributors. Uh, we partner directly with artists that are doing their own merch. And we basically work with all of them to take their merch and bring it into our interface and push it out to all the distribution channels we have, which obviously includes Spotify. We have our, you know, Merch Bar website, our iPhone app. We actually have a product called Merch Alerts that is like Bands in Town or Songkick, but for merchandise. So fans can sign up for personalized emails whenever, you know, their artists have new merch available. But then, you know, whenever fans buy something, we actually, you know, submit those orders back to our partners to fulfill them. So we're really, you know, totally focused on the on the discovery and kind of distribution side of this, you know, beyond the physical products and then work with our partners to actually, you know, get those products created, shipped out and managed that way. So I'm just trying to, I'm struggling for the right word, so don't be offended. I, it's You, you guys are kind of like a merch <laughs> broker then because you're not exactly a distributor because you don't actually do the fulfillment yourself, but you're kind of like a distributor because you connect all these 
pieces. But that's why the word broker popped into my mind because you're you're connecting fans with the the merch that they want from artists, but the artists are not all in a central location. You have to go out and make deals with all the different companies that hold the merch for those artists, right? Yeah, exactly right. And then do you also partner directly with artists? Like let's say artists who sell their own merch on their own website? Yeah, we do. We do. We're actually expanding that side of our business now. But we have a we have several up and running right now and many more in the hopper. So yeah, absolutely directly with artists and, you know, the companies they work with, everyone. We, you know, our goal is to really be an agnostic player that works with everyone in the market because the, you know, the better we do at that, you know, the better experience it is for the fans and the more fans that are on the platform, the better it is for all the, you know, the artists that we work with. Gotcha. That's very interesting because I guess the downside, I mean, I'm thinking about a company like Spotify, if Spotify wants to allow fans to buy merch from artists that they're listening to, since they have, you know, millions of artists on the site, and like I just said a second ago, there's no central place where all those, you know, all those artists aren't using the same merch company, obviously. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to have a company like you guys as sort of the middleman to try to pull all those pieces together so that you actually can get as close to every artist possible, (laughs) even though I'm sure that's an impossible task to actually get every single artist. Yeah. Yeah. So is that makes good sense why Spotify decided to work with you. How did that opportunity arise for you guys? Was that a connection since you've been in the tech industry? Yeah. You know, we've, you know, we've known people at, at Spotify for a long time. You know, you know, the, the music world is, is, is relatively small and the music tech world is even smaller. So, you know, just being in San Francisco and going to events and, and working in the space, we knew a lot of people on their artists artist teams. And, you know, as we kept growing, you know, just continued talking to those guys. And, you know, they're really focused on, you know, finding new new ways to support artists, new ways to help them grow their business. And, you know, it's just an evolution of conversations we've been having for a long time. Cool. So you've only been on Spotify for two months and how's it going? It's going great. Oh, cool. I wish... I wish I could give you some hard stats, but I think we're going to be having something in the next, you know, few weeks or or months we're going to be able to share. But it, it's been fantastic. We're we're very happy with the initial kind of you know programs we've been doing. I think our, our partners are super happy, and you know the artists that we've been working with and the the merch companies we've been working with have been thrilled so far. So we're excited to keep going in this direction. It's a huge huge opportunity, and we love love making headway there. Cool. And then I mean it's early days yet, so this is just a hypothetical, but do you guys have an idea of of where you're going to take it from here? Do you have plans of other stuff that you want to roll out? Yeah, I mean, there's actually a a ton of great stuff to do. You know, you kind of mentioned, you know, a middleman to kind of bring everyone together. You know, we definitely are a man in the middle, but we're really kind of unique opportunity to help in both fractions. So, you know, by having all of this merchandise on one platform, we're actually able to, you know, not just do those things like helping fans discover things, we're able to help artists and the merch companies we work with make better decisions around inventory planning, pricing. You know, we actually have a a lot of data around what types of things work in different promotions. And, you know, in the coming months, we're going to be rolling out some, some features for 
for the, you know, artists and labels and merch companies that we work with, you know, based on the data that we have to help them do a better job. Because it's tough when you only have data from, you know, one artist or even five artists or even 25 artists, you know, we're, we're able to see things from 35,000 different artists. And, you know, we're really excited to, in the coming months, help bring those, you know, those learnings and share them to, you know, help, help push the entire ecosystem forward. Cool. Well, Ed Ayton, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on The Future of What. Hey, thanks for having me. Seven Hundred Story Building by Men's Recovery Project. You're listening to the future of what? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. You're listening to the future of what? We're talking to the founder of Merch Table, Burton Parker. Burton, welcome to the future of what? Hey, how's it going? Awesome. So today on this episode, we are talking about merch because it's such an important part of artists' businesses, of course. And I wanted to talk to you because, you know, full disclosure, we work with you. <laughs> we do our merch through you. So we, uh, we have a good relationship. So I figured I'd love to talk to you guys. But you also have, you know, you have this massive operation. And I'm just interested, how did you, how did you initially get into this crazy business? Well, the, you know, there was a few of us. This goes back quite a few years at this point. But the whole company was founded by Sean Ingram from Coalesce. And he got it going along with a few of the getup kids. And it initially just started off as screen printing, you know, because there was a need there. And this is all out here in Lawrence, Kansas and stuff. So there was already kind of like a built-in, you know, group of bands and stuff that needed that. And, you know, I just kind of came into it out of dumb luck, honestly. <laughs> like, you know, I had been just doing like web pages and stuff. And since they were already doing like shirts and merchandise for a lot of these bands, it kind of led naturally into people wanting to have online stores. And so, you know, I just kind of started running that. I mean, it all just grew very, you know, quickly. It's like we pretty much haven't been in the same building for five years ever. Wow. <laughs> it's just kind of like it's constantly been moving. You know, we started off in this small town about six miles from here called Eudora. The Get Up Kids had a recording studio there at the time. 
and stuff. And then within about four years, we moved here to Lawrence and we've been here ever since, but we're on our fourth building now. <laughs> wow. And how many, I mean, I don't even know if this is possible to, to count, but how many bands do you guys do merch for now or how many different entities? Currently online, for the online stores, we have over 150 active stores. I mean, that's not even counting like all the offline screen printing we do. I mean, I would say, including everybody we've worked with over the years, it's probably been like 500 some, you know, bands and comedians and artists and stuff. Wow, that's fantastic. And how long have you guys been doing it for? We've been doing this for 15 years at this point. Nice. So it's very important because merch can really be a source of revenue for an artist, especially during the times when you're not in like an active album cycle. So you're not actually pushing a new album, but like maybe during the times when you're writing or recording or just touring, merch is amazing because it it's, can be a consistent seller for you and it can bring in money. So that's why we're talking about it today because we wanted to, you know, everybody who's out there who's a musician who's listening knows how important merch can be to sort of your bottom line, like keeping you afloat. But the other, the sort of crazy double-edged sort of merch is when you, most artists start making merch themselves, like Sean from Coalesce, right? But then pretty quickly you discover, man, this could be like, am I going to spend the whole, every minute I'm not on tour, just like packaging things up and taking them to the post office. Right. <laughs> like it turns into a business pretty quickly. And so companies like yours make a ton of sense. And, and I think that they're really a, an important part of the ecosystem of musicians. So how do bands find you? And, you know, is that how it usually happens? Bands come to you at this point or do bands use you for screen printing and then find out you do distribution or how does it work? A lot of it to this day is still word of mouth. And it's pretty much exactly the scenario you mentioned. Like a lot of times you will have people who have just been packing orders themselves, you know, or in between stops, they'll run to the post office and it can just get overwhelming really, really quickly. You know, a lot of the people that work with us, it does start off with, you know, us just doing like shirts or other merchandise for them, screen printing. And it just kind of naturally moves into, you know, well, let's just throw up a store. Let's throw up a few shirts and our CDs and stuff and, and get going there. And, you know, like it was definitely e easier for us in the early days. And even now, like we're basically doing this in bulk, you know, so for somebody where, you know, maybe 10 orders a week is too much for them, you know, that's it's something we can definitely handle, you know, and then you just take that times like 150 other stores and everything. And we've, we've got a lot of different people coming through here. Yeah. So in the last 15 years, have you guys ever had one of those like viral hits where all of a sudden like some, you know, something goes viral and then you guys are like, oh, crap, we have to make a million of these and like ship them all out. Has that ever happened to you? Absolutely. And we had a really funny one that happened to ourselves. I mean, several times over the years, we've just kind of done, you know, our own just little shirts or whatever. And back when Saturday Night Live did the Chronicles of Narnia rap, that was kind of like the very beginning of there being like a hugely viral thing on YouTube. And there was a line in the song about, you know, red vines being, you know, being crazy delicious. I actually can't even remember the exact line anymore, but we, uh, Mr. Pib and red vines, crazy delicious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Like that line was really funny. And this was going into the holidays. We typically take a break at the very end of the year. And so we threw up the shirt and we came back and we had sold like thousands of oh these shirts God. and stuff. And like, it was crazy. I mean, like, you know, we had to email people and say like, hey, this is going to be delayed, you know, a little bit. But, you know, since that also was kind of like 
it wasn't like I was our thing, you know, I mean, there, we had kind of, you know, done this thing on the, on the back of this really funny thing. We like contributed a bunch of the proceeds to the EFF and stuff. So there was kind of like a nice angle to that where we were able to like <laughs> contribute because we certainly never expected anything like that to happen. Right. Yeah. It was totally out of left field. That's awesome. So do you guys do any, like, what do you see in terms of, of popular selling items? Like, do you see our t-shirts pretty much always perennial bestsellers or, you know, sometimes an artist will come out with some really weird piece of merch. Do you recommend that people do weird pieces of merch or not <laughs> based on what you see? I mean, a lot of what I try to do is when people ask me for advice on that, I really try to look at the artist or the label, you know, the podcast, you know, I, I try to make sure that we're doing something that's like within that audience. I mean, it, it's still the yeah, end of this day. Shirts tend to be, you know, the best selling thing for the vast majority of stores that we do. But I mean, you know, we've seen things come and go, you know, trucker hats were like really huge for a while. Uh-huh. <laughs> Enamel pins are really big right now. Oh, yeah. You know, dad hats are pretty big right now. Uh-huh. I mean, every once in a while, we do something really specific, you know, the, the tell them Steve Dave guys, that's another podcast that we work with. And with those guys, we made a hockey jersey that's been really successful. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we just did baseball jerseys with Rhea Butcher that were shockingly successful. I was really amazed. Yeah. Like baseball tees can be kind of hit and miss and stuff. And, and, but jerseys and stuff like that can be really good. I like the hat too. (laughs) You guys did like an Ebbets Field hat. And those things are like, they're really nice and soft. Yeah. They're beautiful. They were scary to me because they were really expensive, but then they ended up selling out. So I was happy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it all worked out. Yeah, that's that's the my take on the merch is like, ah, how much does it cost? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's been fun. It's certainly been fun from my perspective because we've worked with so many different artists and they always have some crazy ideas. And it's fun to work with you guys because you let us do the crazy ideas. You're just like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> try it. Like when we did the Kurt Brown or Double Dong, that was like my favorite merch product ever. That comes up a lot. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much legendary around here. <laughs> we only sold two, but man, that was worth it. <laughs> two of the luckiest people in the, in world. the world. Or four, four of the luckiest people. Oh in the world. God, yeah. I, I didn't remember that or think of it like that. <laughs> thank you for thank you for sorry. Me. That's really <laughs> too much. Hilarious. So yeah, do you ever have do artists ever approach you with with questions, or do they basically just say we want this? That's the end. Yeah, I mean, I get questions a lot. Actually, I mean, before I hopped on here, we're working with a client and they're looking to do socks. They want to do a stuffed animal, like a coach's jacket. So, and and they have a list of about 10 different things and only about like a third of them are just like straight up shirts or shirt designs and stuff, you know? Cool. Oh my God, that gives me good ideas. I'm like, hmm, stuffed animals. I like that. (laughs) That sounds really rad. So you guys do on-site screen printing? Yeah, so at this point we're in we're in two buildings across the street from each other, and so the one building has all the screen printing equipment. We've got so I'm gonna mess it up. I think at this point we have four or five automatic presses, Ooh. and I believe we have two manual presses. So yeah, like we do a bunch of like screen printing on site and stuff, and then you know we have like partners for stuff that we don't uh, you know necessarily do on site. You know like. We worked with uh, VG Kids in Michigan forever. Like they, they do stickers, you know, so it would kind of be like hand in hand. You know, if they if they had somebody needing shirts, they'd come to us. And if we had somebody needing stickers, we'd go to them. Cool. A, a cool partnership. 
I like the idea. Okay, I'm going to just ask you this question because it's been troubling me for years. I always say in interviews that I wish I ran a metal label <laughs> because metal is just so um, unbelievably cohesive, right? Like they just, they have the look, they have the fonts, like everybody who's a metal fan, you just know metal when you see it because they've just got that whole visual thing tapped with the audio. Right. And so I'm always like, damn it, I bet that metal stuff sells just awesome. So just tell me, am I right? You are right. <laughs> See, I knew it. Damn it. <laughs> no, it's, it, it still <laughs> does. It still does incredibly well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we've been working with like Hydrahead for years and stuff. And Sleep is another, you know, great band. Neurosis, actually. They did this incredible 11 album, 11 CD box set. I mean, the thing was... That, that thing was so crazy that when it got here, we, we've got a box making company right here in Lawrence. And I actually had to go and have a, a custom box made just to ship those because wow. everything was kind of, you know, everybody was able to give us like dimensions and predict everything. But it wasn't until you actually had like a trailer full of them here that you could really fully understand what's going to go into ship those things. And it was it was pretty cool. Yeah. No. OK, well. You've crushed me completely, but also vindicated me at the same same time because I knew I was right. <laughs> it's just it's harder to be a label where you're very where you have a lot of genres, and you know when it's when it's all very clear. I think that makes marketing a lot easier. But that's my my private burden. Nobody else has to get involved. <laughs> you have to wear a lot of hats. <laughs> yeah, I have to try to figure out a lot of constituencies, which is you know kind of different. But it's all good. Anyway, Burton Parker, co-founder of Merch Table, we have been so happy to have you with us on The Future of What. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me.
That was Sunny Krakow by Metalux. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Young People, Men's Recovery Project, Metalux, and of course our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. Can I have a taste of your ice cream?